When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I preview day six of the 2024 Australian Open, our first day of round three play in both the men's and women's singles draws. Now, the start of round three is, dare I say, where things get relatively manageable for tennis fans at any major event. We move to 16 singles matches on day number six's calendar. As such, if you turn to the Australian Open YouTube channel, which as I've alluded to on earlier episodes, offers both three and eight minute highlight packages for every match played in the singles draws, you can watch the extended highlights from all these matches in under two hours. You can watch the short three minute versions, uh, highlights of these matches, excuse me, in less than an hour as well. So you can get a little taste of everything everything starting on day number six here at this 2024 Australian Open. As such, just in case you as a listener are crazy like me and have an OCD like compelling to watch a little bit of everything just so you don't miss out on anything, what I want to do starting on today's show moving forward is offer you at least a taste of a preview of every match we have on the calendar in both the men's and women's singles draws at this 2024 Australian Open. We've got eight for the the men, eight for the women tomorrow. I still did want to provide some sort of organization, some sort of categorization of these matches for you listeners. So I kept the must-watch category from our earlier episodes. These are the ones you might still want to watch from start to finish. Certainly catch the extended highlights of. I do, though, just in case, again, you want to watch a little bit of everything, I want to offer my thoughts on everything so that you feel prepared at the very least as you approach those highlight packages or you happen to be awake at that point of the evening and that's the tennis set that's on. So that's the match you end up watching. Again, eight singles matches for the men, eight singles matches for the women. I'll discuss them all here on today's show. But if you've missed out on anything that's unfolded at this 2024 Australian Open, including a dramatic start to day five that saw Sviantek, Zverev, Rude all pushed to deciding sets, you can go catch up on everything over on the Mini Break podcast feed. I offered you an emergency edition, my immediate thoughts on those day five matches already available on your Mini Break podcast feed. I'll have a long form recap of day number five up later today. And again, if you missed out on anything days one 
1 through 4. You can catch our recap episodes over on the Mini Break podcast feed where I try to do my best to break down all of the matches. I have watched at least a three-minute highlight package from every match that's been played in both singles draws thus far. Again, the reason I do that is to keep all of you Cracked Rackets fans the most well-informed, best-educated tennis fans in the business. Hopefully, you feel as much after listening to our Cracked Rackets Australian Open coverage. Again, we'll continue to have GSP's Mini Break podcast for all of you listeners to enjoy over the course of this first major of the year. And a reminder, we will soon have those Mini Break podcasts available for you on YouTube in video form as well. So perhaps that's your preferred platform of choice that will now be available to you moving forward. So if you want to go check out our recently renovated Cracked Rackets recording studio or just check us out on a different platform, make sure you go subscribe to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. That said, you didn't come here to hear me plug CR content. You came here to learn what's on the schedule on day six of this 2024 Australian Open. So let's start telling that story now. Let's start on the women's side of things. And again, I could have put all eight of these matches or I'm going to be honest, I could have put five of these eight matches. I don't think I could put Haddad Maya, Timofeeva, Kostyuk Avanesian, or Frech and Zaharova in the must-watch category and expect you listeners to continue to trust me moving forward. But certainly every match is compelling on the women's singles schedule tomorrow. And I have three in my must-watch, you-won't-want-to-miss category. First and foremost, the Battle of Young Americans. 19-year-old Coco Goff, your number four seed, your reigning U.S. Open champion. She's going to have a real test in round number two, taking on the big-hitting, free-swinging 23-year-old Alicia Parks. Now, every metric is going to point towards Coco Goff as we approach this match. Tennis abstract lists Goff as a 94% favorite entering this round three battle. And I mean, it makes sense. You look for Coco Goff. She is 13-0 against opponents ranked outside the top 50 on hard courts over her last 52 weeks. She's 12-3 for her career at the majors in hard court events against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Hasn't lost to a non-top 50 opponent at a hard court major since losing to Wong Chung in the round, uh, first round excuse me, of the 2022 Australian Open. And obviously, Coco Goff's been on a tear. 50 and 15 overall over her last 52 weeks. One of five players to rank top 15 in, excuse me, four players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. For what it's worth, Coco Goff in her career against players over five foot ten, which Alicia Parks is, and the reason I use that five foot ten metric because typically that's indicative of power tennis being the staple of your game. The taller you are, the more power you're able to generate, and Sometimes you're not able to move as well, so you rely on that power. Anyways, in tour-level hardcourt matches against players over five foot ten, Coco Goff 30-12 in her career, her last loss coming to Sabalenka at Indian Wells last season. Every metric, every stat, every indicator from what we've seen from Coco Goff this year, by the way, she hasn't lost a match yet. 6-0 or 7-0 overall on the season. Wins the title in Auckland. Straight set victories in her first two matches here in Australia. Wins, of course, uh, over both Caroline Dalahide as well as Anna Schmidlova, who it was interesting to see in the box of Lucas Klein. I didn't know they were together. They are from the same home country, so I guess that checks out, but Maybe she was just there supporting him. Maybe they weren't together. Still, that was always cool to see. Anyway, straight set victories for Goff in both of her matches thus far. Alicia Parks' run has been anything 
but straightforward. Uh, Alicia Parks thus far to get to this round. A three-set win over Daria Sneger in round number one. Has to overcome an early break deficit, but ultimately able to bounce back. Knock off Layla Fernandez 5-4 and four in her second round match. I mean, look, again, it starts with the first serve for Alicia Parks. Dare I say, and I apologize for swearing here, but we have West Stuff producing, so I suppose I'm able to do it. The power tennis Alicia Parks is able to play, she just f***ed up. Like, that's the simplest way to describe things. She will ruin whatever your game plan is at the start of the match because she's just not going to let you do it. She plays at her own speed, her own tempo, main character energy in the best sense that she's able to bring the match on her terms because, again, she is deliberate with the serve, the plus one tennis, ripping big whenever there's a short ball, moving forward behind it, doesn't give you a lot of rhythm as an opponent. Her serve will be a problem for the Coco Golf forehand return despite Golf's continued improvement on that wing. Like Parks will be able to generate some plus one opportunities easily and going there when she lands first serve. Now she's been under 60% in each of her first two matches. She typically floats around that 51, 52% first serve percentage. She's going to have to be higher than that if she wants any shot of knocking out this version of Coco Goff. But after seeing the swing-free, carefree power tennis of Danielle Collins disrupt Iga Sviantek's rhythm on day number five, Parks could do something very similarly with her serve, with her plus one aggression, just ability to play on her own terms. I know I keep repeating that in this day six battle. Again, Alicia Parks, I mentioned this stat heading into her round two battle with Layla Fernandez in her career, eight and 16 uh, against top 50 opponents. Coming into that Layla Fernandez matchup, she had lost eight consecutive matches in 11 of 12 against top 50 opponents. It was great to get that off her back. For what it's worth, she's four and five in her career against the top 20. Now, again, it's been a while since those wins. April 2023, the last of them against Victoria Azarenka. She got two of them on her preferred surface, indoor hard courts in Ostrava. But Alicia Parks is a PTP. Again, she brings the energy, the confidence you need to bring when you are facing a top 10 opponent. First career head-to-head between the two. I expect Goff to get through, but there are gonna be there's going to be a fun 20-minute stretch where Parks really stresses Coco Goff. And if it comes early enough in the match, maybe, just maybe, she can make a run of things again. Alicia Parks got her first win at the Australian Open. First two wins at this year's event was not in the main draw in last year's version of the Australian Open. So already progress for her, but two young Americans two young African-American women as well leading this sport moving forward. Again, Alicia Parks could be that sort of talent if she can find a degree of consistency, obviously find a way to work things a little bit better on clay courts as well. But the power tennis is undeniable. When you have that characteristic working in your game, that ability to dictate on like on your own terms, that's just undeniable. So she gets a real test at the best in the world, taking on reigning U.S. Open champion Coco Goff. That's a fun one on tomorrow's schedule. Another fun one featuring a young American. How about Amanda Anisimova taking on Paula Bedosa? This was a match I circled from the start in my draw preview. They were in that Samsonova uh, Pavlochenkova beat Vekic. So that Samsonova Vekic section of the draw Obviously, the winner of this probably going to have Sabalenka in round number four, so you feel like that's probably where the tournament ends for both, but an opportunity for both players who are clear-cut top 30 players when they're healthy, playing their best tennis, they're both outside the top 50 right now, for them to have an opportunity to start their seasons with 
a second round appearance at this Australian Open. Talk about just the boost of adrenaline you need as you get ready for the grind of a new year. But Dosa yet to drop a set uh, and wins over Townsend Pavlichenkova. She's moving well. She's hitting the ball confidently, turning defense into offense, asserting herself behind her first serve when the opportunity presents itself. Amanda Nisimova is swinging freely. Amanda Nisimova dominated Nadia Podoroska in round number two. She just didn't have weapons to hit Anisimova off the spot. Uh, Anisimova straight set win in round one as well. It's the eighth third round at a major for the 22-year-old. And given how much time it feels like she's missed so early in her career for her to have already racked up eight majors, speaks to when she is healthy, on court, focused, playing her best tennis. That best tennis just is top 32 in the world, uh, eighth for the in the career of Anisimova, seventh in the career of the older 26-year-old Paula Bedosa. Obviously, a slower rise for Bedosa up the rankings, and she's been ranked as high as number two, but six uh, for her first uh, third round at a major since the 2022 Wimbledon. Some stats for all of you to enjoy. Paula Bedosa has struggled against taller, power-centric players in particular. She's 9-16 in her career in tour-level matches on hard courts against players over 5'10". Obviously, she's going to face that sort of relentless power tennis test uh, in Amanda Nisimova in round number three of this Australian Open. On the flip side, uh, for the Anisimova stat, you know, I mentioned again, 5-2 and two for Anisimova in her career. Uh, in slam third round matches, you look for Anisimova. And it's not exactly a direct to say a top 50 player for Bedosa because she's not right now. But uh, Anisimova in her career, 34 and 49 against the top 50. 9 and 11, though, at the slams when facing top 50 players. Her last top 50 win coming at the 2022 Wimbledon against Coco Goff in three sets. I mean, again... Anisimova is not moving her best right now. She didn't need to. Everything was in front of her uh, in that match against Nadia Podoroska. And when Anisimova can keep things in rhythm, again, she plays elite. Not good, not great, elite power tennis. That's how hot the ball comes off of her racket. She uh, did not serve particularly well in either of her first two matches. And you feel like when that piece comes together, and it's really the first step after the serve when opponents connect on the return, that's when she struggled. And obviously that's something Pedosa has traditionally done well, even in the lack of matches. She's still top 25 in hold percentage amongst top 100 players, according to the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. Anisimova's tennis has looked better against better competition than, uh, uh, excuse me, Bedosa's tennis has been better against better competition than Anisimova's thus far, but Anisimova can play a degree of power tennis that it doesn't really matter what the level of competition looks like when she's at her best. She simply put, can be the best in any match that she plays. It's must watch as it's a massive moment for both as they try to make their, uh, they try to reascend towards the top of the women's game. According to Tennis Abstract, Bedosa, 57.5% favorite. I believe this is the first matchup in their career head-to-head as well. Well, again, Bedosa has struggled with some power tennis players in her career. Anisimova is striking the serve. She's not striking the serve. She's striking the backhand return so well. Just you can't hit a kick serve against her right now. That's how much in rhythm that wing has been. Bedosa slightly more dynamic. I think she's she's executed her plus one well. Obviously, a tough level of competition to start in paths and towns in tougher than the Anisimova track record. I'm going to take Bedosa to get through this one. Uh, 
three sets. We'll go three sets, but I'm going to take Bedosa uh, to sneak through and get herself to a second-week battle with likely Arena Sabalenka, whose match with Lasia Tsarenko we'll talk about in a moment. Last but not least in the must-watch category on the women's side, massive, massive opportunity for a couple of 21 and under stars here in round number three as world number 57, 21-year-old Diane Perry. Going to take on 16-year-old sensation, current world number 35 in the live rankings. By the way, all my rankings from the live rankings in 16-year-old Mira Andreeva. Andreeva, of course, coming off of a second-round appearance where she dropped just two games to two-time slam finalist and number six seed Anjabur Perry. Not quite as difficult of a pathway as Andreeva to get to round number three, but impressive in wins over 30th seed Wang Xinyu and a straight set victory over Camille Rahimova uh, in round number two. Look, Perry's got real weapons. Her serve, her plus one forehand, for those of you unfamiliar with the young French women's game, they're real. Like, they get her into her plus one playbook. They get her to be able to assert herself within matches, use her speed to beat you to the spot, beat you down the line, sneak forward behind that ball, closes things off so well at the net because she does have that one-handed backhand, which she's forced to play the slice on so frequently, although she has come out for the top of it more successfully over the last six months as she's ascended to this new career high. It's also the third time she's reached the third round of a major. She's now done it on all three surfaces as well. And again, this is a former top five junior. Like the pedigree is there for Perry, and you see why with the spring in her step, the twitchiness and everything she does. Yes, when pressured by pace, that backhand will sit short. It will at times turn into a liability for her. But again, her footwork, her speed, her ability to find forehands and just make you uncomfortable. And she knows where you're trying to hit. And thus, she has that inherent advantage of knowing what you want to do more than you knowing what she wants to do, which I think matters. That said, Andreeva beat Perry 1-2 when these two played in the Roland Garros uh, round of 64 last season. Andreeva, I mean, obviously, you just look at the resume, 6-5 and five in her career against the top 20 into the third round of a major for the second time in her career, and she's just 16 years old. How well she's moving, how well she served against Jabir, faced just one break point in that match, and her size and height. Very much evident in the pace she's able to generate on that serve. Again, very fluid mover for her size as well. Do I love the technique? I don't. I still think it's a little close to the body, and I think Perry's plus one weaponry will make Andreeva uncomfortable. When Perry's landing the first serve and swinging freely with the plus one, she'll make anyone uncomfortable. Andreeva can do more things. than. And by the way, Andreeva's down the line, and her ability to keep that backhand down the line Use it to keep Perry honest from cheating over to find ad side forehands. That's going to be a critical shot throughout the course of this match. I think Andreeva gets through. Tennis Abstract would agree with me. Mira Andreeva, unsurprisingly, given her track record, the favorite uh, entering this match, 84.1%, according to Tennis Abstract. Still, if you're Diane Perry, you walk out of the first month of the season, a new career high, 57. You're going to get into everything you want to get into in these first few months of the year. Three must-watch matches of the eight in the women's singles draw tomorrow. Golf Parks, Anisimova, Bedosa, and Andreeva Perry only one seed-on-seed seed match tomorrow, and with all due respect, I just think it's going to be lopsided. Lasia Sarenko has played well, and obviously, you look at what the 34-year-old veteran has done, 28 in the live rankings, three off her career high. She's the oldest player in the top 40 right now, as I alluded to, I think, on yesterday's mini-break podcast feed. That said, Sapolink has just been a buzzsaw. 
Fruvertova played really well, given the context of she's 16 years old. Sabalenka was never threatened by the moonballing, by the totality of things. The kitchen sink Fruvertova threw at her in that match didn't matter for Sabalenka. She's just playing what elite of elite power tennis looks like. Her home in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club lit up right now. I just think she's going to be able to overwhelm Serenko. Serenko's not going to have time to get into her serve forehand plus one game because the ball's just going to be coming at her too quickly. Give me Sabalenka to advance comfortably. I'm fascinated by the Krejcikova-Storm Sanders matchup tomorrow. Storm Hunter, excuse me. Hunter in the third round of a major for the first time in her career. Qualifier obviously played inspired tennis in the three-set win over Siegemann in round two. Krejcikova was dominant in a straight set win over Tamara Korpat. She looked like the player who beat Iga in a final in February on hard courts last year, not like the player who kind of limped through the back half of the season. And again, when it's a good week for Krejcikova, she can beat anyone in the world. Grinds her way through an ugly round one match in three sets, now seems to be finding some confidence off of that. If she rolls through this comfortably, I mean, again, she probably faces Andriva in round number four. And then another matchup with Sabalenka, who, of course, she played so tightly throughout the early portions of last season. Krejcikova's getting hot at exactly the right time. And if she rolls through Storm Hunter, who will have the Australian crowd behind her, it's just something to take note of as we move towards week number two. So a good test for Krejcikova to see if what we saw in round two was real. Again, she's run so hot and cold of late. And Storm Hunter's lefty forehand, like, it can cause problems. It can ruin what you what you want to do on any given day. That said, I do think the Krejcikova form is real. When she gets hot, she stays hot. I think she advances to week number two with a straight set win over Hunter. Tough test for Maria Timofeeva. She's going to face her biggest weapon, certainly, of the tournament today. She'll take on 10th-seeded Beatrice Haddad-Maya. Haddad-Maya, 95.5% favorite. Krejcikova, 79.5% favorite, by the way, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. Look, again— Maria Timofeeva, that win over Caroline Wozniak is the biggest win of her career. First time she's in the third round of a major for the first time of her career. She's still outside the top 100, 118, despite this success in Australia. She's got remarkable speed. She showed that off and that ability to turn defense into offense, sneaky springiness. My comparison for her was, uh, you know, maybe a springier, dare I say, more stable Putensiva that player is a top 50 player. And so Haddad Maya is going to get tested. That said, Haddad Maya looked really good in a straight set win over Kornieva in round number two. Swing in freely, wants to make a top 10 push. The window is kind of there for her to do so. She's sitting at 11 right now, 18 points behind Yelena Ostapenko. Uh, again, that's a fun little race to keep note of. And by the way, if Haddad Maya wins that, she'd face the winner of Avanisian Kostyuk with a spot at another major quarterfinal on the line. Speaks to her rapid ascent that it would be her second major quarterfinal in the last four majors. Massive opportunity for both players. Obviously, I do think Haddad Maya pulls through. I think this is where Timofeeva runs end, although I like the way her mat, uh, backhand matches up with the lefty Haddad Maya. So I think that one's going to be sneaky competitive. I'll take Haddad Maya to get through. I will take Timofeeva to sneak out a set. Other two matches on the day, Kostyuk, 83.8% favorite against 21-year-old Russian Alina Avanesian. Kostyuk's reached a second week of a major before Avanesian never has. Avanesian coming off of her first top 10 victory over Maria Sakari. Kostyuk, 7-6 in the third. She fought off a match point to knock off 25th seeded Elisa Mertens. How much gas does she have left in the tank? A legitimate question. Avanesian, a more comfortable straight set victory. These are both world-class athletes. 
very fluid in and out of the outer thirds. This match is going to be physical. It's a massive opportunity for both players. For Kostyuk, uh, a win in this match, she'll jump all the way up to 31 in the rankings. A new career high for Avanissian, who's, of course, already at a career high of 60. She wins this match. She'll jump all the way up to number 49 in the live rankings. It would be a top 50 debut that just would have to change the entire schedule of the 2024 season, at least in the immediate future for the 21-year-old Russian moving forward. Again, I've been one of my takes coming into this year was buy stock in Kostyuk. I think this is a make-or-break season for her to prove that ceiling. I think she's gone about doing that in the win over Mertens. Now you got to follow that win up. Again, Avanesian is not going to be able to hurt you with as much frequency or consistency as your weapons have displayed, you can hurt her, your service springier, you can match her athleticism. Can you match the discipline, though? That's the question. Can Kostyuk swing freely enough? I'm going to take her to win in a tight straight set match, but that's the key word there. Tight. And then last but certainly not least, Magdalena Frech, 81.4% favored against 21-year-old qualifier Anastasia Zaharova, who, of course, is into the third round of a major for the first time in her career. The 22-year-old, excuse me, 132 new career high in the live rankings. Frech right now, the 26-year-old new career high, 56 in the live rankings. Frech can just do... She's more consistent. I've seen more from her. I mean, Zaharova one in one to Kaya Yuvan, like was just dominant in every fashion of the word. You can almost throw that result out. Kaya Yuvan just didn't have it on that day, was overwhelmed by everything Zaharova did. If that's the Zaharova we see, she's going to win this match and she'll win it in straight sets because I think her level was higher than what I saw from Frech, even in a win over Garcia in round number two. Is this where I'm going to pull the upset card? I don't know if I've pulled an upset yet today. I took Goff. I took Bedosa. I took Andriva. I took Sabalenka, Krechikova, Haddad, Maya, Kostyuk. Fine, I'll take Zakharov. I'll be creative there. That match is going to be sneaky fun. I know I have it eighth. I know I'm neglecting it relative to what I did with the rest of the field. But uh, I'll take Zakharova to advance and be our surprise second week uh, appearance in the round of 16 in the women's singles draw. Those are all eight of your women's singles matches. Let's progress now to the eight men's singles matches we have on the day six calendar. And again... I could make a case very, very easily for all eight of these matches to be must-watch matches. We have three seed-versus-seed matches on the day, and one of those didn't even make my four must-watch matches on the men's category side. What did? Let me answer that question for all of you listeners. Now, let's start with the clear-cut number one. It's fifth-seeded Andre Rublev versus 29th-seeded Sebi Korda. Korda, obviously a quarter-finalist at this event last year, as was Andre Rublev. Korda... A, uh, excuse me, Rublev 2-0 in the career head-to-head against Korda, 6-2, 6-3 win in the Hyon final back in 2022, a 5-6 win when they faced off in Miami in 2021, according to Tennis Abstract. Andre Rublev, 78.3% favorite, according to the singles forecast. Sebi Korda in his career, 6-10 against top 10 opponents. It's pretty good given all the injuries the youngsters sustained early in his career. Obviously got a massive win in this round last season over a top 10 seed in knocking out Daniil Medvedev in straight sets. We know what the best version of Sepi Korda looks like, and for the most part, that's who we've gotten over his last five months of play since the start of Winston-Salem the week before the U.S. Open last season. 17-8 and 8 
overall is Sepi Corda during that stretch of time. He's played 10 different events. He's made the quarterfinals or further in five of them. And look, obviously a lot of those, if not all of them, everything but the Shanghai Masters where he made the semifinals were 250 events. But Shanghai, he beats Medvedev again. He beats a very much informed Ben Shelton, 7-6 in the third there as well before losing to eventual champion Hubi Hercots. Did not look good in his semifinal loss in Adelaide. Did not look good in almost blowing a two sets to love lead over Vit Capriva in round number one, but looked very solid in a 4-4-4 win over Quinton Halise in round number two, a match that saw him face just one break point, which he saved despite making just 59.5% of his first serves in the match. Here's the other thing, though. Talk about turning over a performance. Andre Rublev, after his opening round five-set match, nearly... Avo- uh, nearly uh, He escapes, excuse me, disaster, but very nearly faced disaster in his five-set win over Sabeth Vild. Very much steadied the ship. 4-4-4 as well over Christopher Eubanks. Saved all three of the break points that he faced. Made 75% of his first serves. Won 85% of those points. Won la- uh, few, uh, lost fewer excuse me, than 20 points on serve throughout the course of the match. A 30-game match, and he loses fewer than 20 points in his 15 service games throughout the course of the match. Now, again, Chris Eubanks not nearly as dynamic of a returner as Seppi Korda, but... Look, even though even through this 17-8 stretch for Sebi Corda, his break percentage just 20% over this course of time. He does pretty rigorously try to hold the baseline in his court positioning and as such, you know, again, can get pressured by pace or can see the error count stack up on the return of serve when, again, that ball is just coming in too hot for him to handle. You look for Andre Rublev in his career. Again, it's a very similar stat to what I mentioned on the last time we discussed an Andre Rublev preview match, it's another opponent over six foot four in his career uh, in ATP matches against opponents over six foot four. He's twenty seven and fifteen against those opponents when they're not top twenty guys, aka not named Daniil Medvedev, not named Sasha Zverev. He's twenty seven and fifteen in those other occasions. Again against Eubanks, he was so efficient in finding his plus one game on serve. Going to have to do that. Going to have to pressure the court to court position. Going to have to target that. Sebi Corda, forehand with pace, going to have to get Sebi off of his mark and be the aggressor that we know Andre Rublev with his serve, with his forehand so frequently is. I mean, again, look, Andre Rublev's 2-0 in the career head-to-head. There's a reason he's a favorite. His pace is well-positioned to pressure Sebi Corda. <sighs> Part of me wants to pull the upset because, again, I have always thought when Seppi Corda plays his best tennis, as we saw last January, that best tennis is top 10 tennis in the world. And sometimes those sorts of weapons, when you're playing top 20 tennis and you're over six foot four and you have those sort of elite power, which you can display consistently, those weapons disrupt Andre Rublev. When he can't swing through his forehand freely, when he kind of has to stab at it or he gets pinned in that backhand corner, which has improved significantly, but still is not the shot he creates with the creator is always going to be the serve forehand plus one combination if Korda can get up early now all of a sudden you get a frustrated Andre Rublev as well which always still seems to appear when he is a little bit pressured in those big moments I mean Korda has the power tennis when he's executing his best to make Andre Rublev uncomfortable. The question is, has we, have we seen that best from Sebi Korda yet in 2024? We saw close to it in that Quentin Halise match. I don't know if that was top 15, top 10, dare I say, best that is necessary, though, to beat Andre Rublev right now. I'm going to take Rublev 
Split the first two sets. Rublev takes the third. He ultimately wins the match in four to move to 3-0 and in that career head-to-head and move into his fourth round of, uh, excuse me, another, I was going to say his fourth round of 16, his fourth out of his last five, another round of 16 uh, for Andre Rublev against 78.3% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. That is going to be some very fun hold-the-baseline plus one power tennis at its finest. I think if you want a physical match, the match of the day is very clear. It's going to be Novak Djokovic versus Tomas Martin Echeverri. Now, of course, Djokovic, despite not playing, it feels like, that many tournaments at this point of his career. He's already played Echeverri twice. They played twice last season, once on hard courts. Djokovic, a straight set win over Echeverri, 3-2 and two at the Paris Masters. Also beat him 6-2 and two on clay at the Rome Masters. You know, Djokovic for his career, 62-5 and five in third round at majors, but keep in mind he lost three of his first five, so he's won 60 of his last 62 third rounds. Not first rounds, not second rounds. Third rounds, round of 32. That's hypothetically the 32 best players in the world at that moment. And he has won 60 of his last 62 third rounds. The last time he lost in a third round, 2016 Wimbledon to Sam Query. I remember that match. I was in college working an internship, getting ready for my senior year. Yeah, it's been since Sam Query beat Djokovic at Wimbledon since he's lost a round three match. That was, again... Almost a full decade ago, you look for Tomas Martin Echeverry, 4-11 in his career against the top 50 on hard courts. You want to move that to top 20 specifically, 0-5 in his career on hard courts, including, again, that loss to Djokovic in Paris last year. Lost to Sinner in the second round of Australia last year as well, 3-2-2. But look, Novak Djokovic has been pushed to four sets in each of his first two matches. You look for Novak, the fact that through two matches of play, he's already spent seven-plus hours on court. I'm sure that's something the 36-year-old would have preferred to have avoided at this point of the event. That said, it is first month of the season. You're always still kind of working your way in, into shape, and Djokovic, who clearly was battling a little bit of an illness on top of the wrist injury he's discussed, he... I think looked really solid in his four-set win over Popperin. I think he looked solid in his four-set win over Prismich as well. I think the tightness of those matches spoke to the level his opponents were playing at. And of course, when you play Novak Djokovic, you just have that burden removed of expectations. You have that opportunity to swing so freely, to go for what you want to go for, because if you don't do that, you know you're losing for sure no matter what. And Tomas Modernacevic, I've said it before. Coke is the Diet Coke, as Casper Root is the Tomas Martin Echeverry. Echeverry is really solid across the board. When he has time on that forehand wing, his ability to hit down on it, particularly inside-out, inside-out, inside-in combination, his ability to flatten out the backhand but drive through it comfortably, the physicality he brings, I think he's a solid volleyer as well. This Djokovic we've gotten through the first two matches, a Djokovic who is very clearly on neutral right now as his gear. He hasn't amped things up yet. It's cruise control through the first two rounds, and so far it's worked. He can stay on cruise control, but if it's a 70-mile-per-hour highway, he's probably been on cruise control at about 70, maybe 72 through his first two rounds of matches. He's got to amp things up to 74, maybe even that 75 range. Kind of get ready to go in full speed, full tilt moving forward, maybe even turning off cruise control and putting his pedal, uh, pedal to the metal. 
foot on the gas pedal, whatever analogy you want to go with. Again, Tomas Martinecevere is a name you should get to know. I think the 24-year-old from Argentina, well-rounded. I think his game is going to translate certainly to the two major surfaces very well, hard courts and, and clay courts, obviously, where he's a French Open quarterfinalist already as he continues to get more tour-level matches under his belt. It's world number one Novak Djokovic in a best-of-five match in the slam where he has been best at the Australian Open. I think Djokovic gets through, but not going to shock me if the story coming out of day six is another tight four-set match for Djokovic. Just been that sort of draw, uh, that sort of Novak so far through week number one at this year's first major. That is must-watch match number two and. Again, Djokovic 2-0 in the career head-to-head against Tomas Martin Echeverria. According to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast, Djokovic, unsurprisingly, 98.2. 98.2% favorite. That's insulting. That's too high. He should probably be like a 88.2, but not a 98.2. I think Echeverria has better than a 1.8% chance of winning that match. But that speaks to, again, Djokovic 60-1 over his last 61 uh, or whatever it is, 60-2 over his last 62. I think 16-1 over his last 61 round three matches at the major. So maybe it should be 98.2%. Anyways, that's must-watch match number two. Must-watch match number three, a battle between two seeds who held. So I lied. There are actually four seed-versus-seed matches. I forgot to put Adrian Manorino's number 20 seed in my outline. He takes on the extraordinarily talented rising superstar, 21-year-old Ben Shelton, who it is worth noting Given the fact that Shelton had essentially zero success between the Australian Open and U.S. Open last year, and yes, I know he won his first title uh, at the end of last season uh, and ultimately, again, did back up that Australian Open with a semifinal run at last year's U.S. Open, but for Ben to hold seed and reach a third round, that's actually significant progress for him to look as comfortable as he did. It wasn't extraordinary. It wasn't unexpected. No, Ben looked like a player who belonged and and should have been seated and should be advancing comfortably over RBA in round number one as he did to get the four-set win in the fashion that he did. Yeah, probably tested a little bit more uh, than perhaps he expected uh, in his round two matchup against Christopher O'Connell, but to still get through that match in four sets to avoid the significant complication of a decider against an Australian in Australia. Mature performance from Ben just to get to round number three of this event, and obviously you look for Shelton so far here at this Australian Open. Pretty clean sheet uh, as it relates to his serve. Was broken twice against O'Connell but faced just five break points overall in the match. In match number one against RBA, fought off nine of the 11 break points that he faced, but that speaks he's had some success breaking serve in ways perhaps he hasn't earlier in his career. He looks fit. He looks focused. The forehand looks locked in, and I think he's a little bit more comfortable swinging through that ball on the return of serve right now, but I mean, look, Ben is going to get tested against Adrian Manorino. Adrian Manorino is the ultimate test right now uh, as it relates to, dare I say, entry into the top 25. I mean, Manorino has been electric really since, dare I say, the start of the grass court season. If you go since the start of Den Bosch on June 12th of last season, a year, an event where he made just the quarterfinals of, but obviously that quarterfinals uh, preceded what was a really successful grass court and ultimately hard court year. If you just go since June 12th of last year, he's 33 and 15 overall. That's the two-thirds rule, folks. He continues to ascend the rankings, sitting at a career high of 19 as we approach this Australian Open. He's playing the best ball of his career. The numbers say it. The eye test 
says it. He was so steady in avoiding that two sets to love blowing of a lead against Haomi Munar in that fifth set, ultimately 6-3 in the fifth. He's able to advance. Now, the thing is, he's played 10 sets of tennis. He's played seven hours of tennis to get to this third round. Things have been a little bit more efficient for Ben uh, in his first two matches. Some stats to throw at you. You look for Ben Shelton in his career, 9-12 and 12 against top 50 opponents on hard courts. Obviously, again, more success of late. Shanghai beat Sinner. Safulin, Tokyo, he beats Tommy Paul, Aslan Karatsev, U.S. Open wins over Tommy, Francis. Uh, but 9-12 and 12 in his career, that's still only 21 matches against top 50 opponents. He's 6-4 and four in his career against lefties. Again, he's 0-1 in the career head-to-head against Adrian Manorino. Manorino, that's not true. I think he's 0-2 in his career head-to-head. Is it 0-1 or 0-2? I guess the answer is 0-1. Yeah, it is 0-1 in the career head-to-head against Manorino. Manorino, the three-set win, 6-4, 3-6-6-1, when these two went head-to-head in Miami last season. You know, again, you look on the Manorino side of things against lefties. He's 33-17 and 17 in his career against uh, lefties on hard courts at the ATP Tour level. He's won his last six decisions against lefties as well, including, again, that victory against Ben. That said, when he's played top 20 opponents on hard courts that are over six foot four, and the reason I use that metric, as I alluded to earlier, over six foot four, you are likely a power tennis-centric player Against top 20 tall power-centric players, Adrian Manorino, 5-30 in his career. Now, seven of those 30 losses have come to Alex Virev since the U.S. Open in 2020. And I think of those losses, eight of them overall have come to Sasha Zverev. A bunch of losses early in his career to guys like Burdich, Del Potro as well. But when he faces elite power tennis, guys who have deci- who are decisive enough with their weapons to not feel the pressure of the relentless consistency, the absorbing, redirecting nature of Adrian Manorino, that's when Manorino can struggle because you have to be decisive. You have to be willing to go down swinging when you play a guy as steady as Manorino. And certainly if we've learned anything about Ben Shelton, we know he has that je ne sais quoi, that chutzpah to his personality, to his game style. Again, 33-17 and 17 at the tour level in his career on hard courts is Manorino against lefties, his last loss, coming to Heisbrauer back at the 2022 U.S. Open. So it's been a while since he's lost to an ATP tour lefty, excuse me, on a hard court specifically according to the tennis abstract singles forecast this is a toss-up ben 54.7 percent favorite i'm gonna lean ben as well simply because manorino's played 10 sets of tennis just to get to this third round that's a lot of tennis uh, on a guy who is 35 years old uh entering this season and i know how smooth he makes it all look but that's a lot of tennis on his body and to have to go corner to corner tracking down the heaviness of the shelton weaponry that was just that's not what you want after playing two long physical matches to kick off your tournament. Albeit again, that fifth set against Wawrinka in round one, pretty light relative to how fifth sets can be still. I'll take the weaponry of Ben and the decisiveness, the chutzpah he has in these big moments to get back to week number two to knock out Manorino. Again, that would be a massive result for Shelton. Even if he doesn't back the quarterfinal specifically and loses to Djokovic in the round of 16, just to get back to week number two and kind of consolidate and prove, no, 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 no. I'm a week two guy at hardcourt majors moving forward. 
for a guy who's only 20, what, one years old or 22 years old, 21 years old, that's a massive thing to establish this early in your career. So a big opportunity for Shelton. Obviously a massive opportunity for Adrian Manorino as well. For what it's worth, the 35-year-olds in terms of reaching second weeks at the major in his career, Adrian Manorino overall uh, has only reached the second week of four different majors, 2013, 17, and 18 Wimbledons, as well as the 2022 Australian Open, 0-4 in those round of 16 appearances. Now, obviously, would have a matchup with Djokovic, so you would anticipate that record might move to 0-5, but it's been a while for Manorino to have this sort of opportunity, so that's a fun, it had to be on the must-watch category as we approach day number four. And then, last but not least on the must-watch category, Tsitsipas versus Van Asha. Stefano Tsitsipas, the number seven seed, taking on the talented youngster from France, the uh, 19-year-old Luca Van Asha. Van Asha 68 in the live rankings entering this battle. One in eight against the top 50 in his career on hard courts. That one win came in his round number two battle, a five-set victory over Lorenzo Musetti. Vanasha actually a couple of five-set wins thus far. Five sets over James Duckworth, five sets over Lorenzo Musetti, over seven hours on court for the 19-year-old. And it always helps to have those fresh legs. It always helps to have the sort of speed, athleticism, ability to turn defense into offense is a staple of his game. you got to be fit to do that. He certainly is. Does he have enough left in the gas tank? Is he firm enough on both wings to stare down the weaponry of the number one player by hold percentage over the last 52 weeks amongst top 100 players in Stefano Tsitsipas? who serve his forehand has been enough to propel him to two four-set victories thus far. Again, why is this on the must-watch list? It's not as sexy as Sinner Baez. Even the athleticism of Demon Hour Kabali, I mean, that match is going to have so much speed. But this is the purest contrast of styles maybe we have of all of our matchups on day number four, uh, six. And it's an excellent test, again, for the 19-year-old already in his first third round at a major. Can he reach his first second week? Upset of Tsitsipas, who's looked a little shaky in his first few matches. Tsitsipas, 87.9% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Believes he's in round three of this Australian Open for the fifth consecutive year. Those are my must-watch matches. Rublev, Korda, Djokovic, Echeverry, Shelton, Manorino, and then I'm going to take Tsitsipas to end the run of Van Asha. Uh, in the For the Nerds category, the other four matches on the day in the men's singles draw. Taylor Fritz taking on Fabian Marazan. I know Fritz is coming off of a decisive win over Gaston, where he lost six games, but Marazan wins over Chilich and Sarundalo, and he's dropped just one set so far at this major. This is a rising player to get to know. The 24-year-old Hungarian at a new career high, 56 in the live rankings. Fritz might have more firepower, and he is striking the ball perfectly, but Fabian Marazan is good everywhere. He's quick. He's going to absorb, redirect those Fritz first blows well, get Taylor stretched. How fit is Taylor? How fresh is he coming off of a little bit of an injury that lingered in the offseason? We will see that tested. Fritz in five. But that match has five sets written all over it. Similarly, Demonauer's got another tough test. He had Arnaldi, the athletic Italian, in round two, passed it with flying colors. He gets another uber-athletic Italian in 21-year-old Flavio Caboli, who, of course, enters at a career high as well. Caboli sitting at 76 in the live rankings, coming off of an electric uh, five-set victory uh, for Caboli over... Who did he knock out? I should know this. Pavel Kotov. Maybe it was four sets, not five, but a really good match in round number two. Look, Demonauer is a 94.4% favorite. Kabali has barely played top 100. 
players consistently, let alone top 50, top 20, top 10, like Demon Hour certainly is on hard courts right now. There's just a lot of speed, a lot of fluidity, a lot of athleticism in that match. So there's a world where it turns into a track meet, but Demon Hour in Melbourne with the second week on his mind, I think he shows everyone why he should be a favorite to make the quarterfinals over Rublev. And I think he gets through this one comfortably. Sinner versus Baez. Sinner, 97.6% favorite according to Tennis Abstract, even though both of these guys are seeded. Baez, really nice win. Impressive stuff for him to get to third round out of a hard court major considering the lack of success on this surface outside of his pre-U.S. Open Winston-Salem title run last season. <sighs> I mean, again, but Sinner is Sinner. Hasn't dropped a set yet. Dropped six games in his round two match. I just Any second serve, he's going to pulverize. And yeah, Baez, when he has time, can absolutely hit bullets off of the forehand wing. He's not going to have time because Yannick Sinner takes that away as well as anyone right now. I think Sinner gets through in straights. And then, although that match will be sneaky physical at times. And then Hatchnoff versus uh, Mahak is a really good matchup. And Karen Hatchnoff, by the way, only a 56% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. I had this in the must-watch category. But then I put it in the For the Nerd section just so I wouldn't go six hours on today's show for a preview show that only has so long of a shelf life. Look, Mahach, again, he's been a rising star on the ATP Challenger Tour. Knocks out Tiafo in a decisive straight set win where just straight up he was the better player at everything from start to finish. Hatchinov, a couple of shaky four-set wins thus far at this Australian Open as he tries to find his legs, finds his legs, find his legs here in 2024. If Mahach plays freely, that match is going to be close. That match is going to be at least four sets. Mahach is solid off of both wings. He's fast. He's not the biggest, but he's athletic enough to absorb the pace. He'll feed off of some of the pace. Hatchinov actually provides him. Now, that serve might overwhelm him. That's why I worry the Mahach return ends up sitting short. Hatchinov going to have too many opportunities to swing freely with that plus one forehand and ultimately overwhelm the young Czech player. But look again, this slam already a massive victory for Mahach, who uh, with his run back up to 66 in the line rankings. Hatchinov still defending semifinal points. He's sitting at 18 right now in the live rankings. Obviously, you know, he started last season semifinals Australia, quarterfinals French Open, and was playing like a top eight guy before getting injured. So every match matters in defending his rankings to give him another push at an ATP Tour Finals. Mahach is playing really well. Again, younger me, bolder me would have pick, would pick the upset here. Have I picked an upset yet? <sighs> Korda, Djokovic, Shelton, Tsitsipas. I'm going to switch my Rublev pick to a Korda upset. I almost picked Marazan. I took Fritz in five, Demonauer in straights, Sinner in straights, Hatchinov in five, but I might regret that pick if Mahach brings the same level he brought to the Francis Tiafo match. That said, that is your look at day number six of this 2024 Australian Open, our first day of round three play in both the men's and women's singles draws. As always, if you miss out on any of the action, be sure to go check out the mini break podcast feed where we'll have recaps for you each and every day of this event. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. 
possible. A shout-out to him. A shout-out as well uh, to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out, make this January the most listened-to month we have had in Cracked Rackets history. With that said, for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We hope all of you enjoy day six of the 2024 Australian Open. But for now, you know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.